Mac Power Users, Episode 168, The Feedback Show. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Are you ready for the purge? I purge of feedback. <laughs> you know, we say we're going to do this more often, and we typically end up doing it only about once a year, and we, we should try to do that more often. But our listeners, we've always said, are some of the smartest people in the world, and they ask great questions and give us great feedback. And we really try hard not to make our shows go over an hour and a half. And so we always want to get to feedback at the end of the show, and sometimes we're just running up against our our deadline and but what we do is, is every now and again, we put the best of the best of the feedback and the best questions that you have. And, and we kind of try to put them together in segments and, uh, and kind of cover all kinds of stuff. I mean, we're going to be talking about a number of things. And, and, but mainly this show, I think we're going to be talking about tea and bacon, right? Mainly. Yeah. Do we have bacon in the outline? We need to I've, put it in there. That's, that's been what we've gotten most of the feedback about recently. Okay. Can I tell you a quick story about bacon? I knew I knew you would. So I was at um, the uh, in California. There's a fancy pants uh, kitchen place called Sir La Tabla. Sir La Tab. Sir Sir okay. La Tabla. Sur you guys have tabla. that one out there? No. Yeah. Do you, do you have I'm, that? I'm guessing it's French. Maybe I, I think it's German actually, but I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not very good at that stuff. No, we don't have that. Um, so. So Daisy and I, uh, she convinced me to go take a cooking class with her, which I've never done. And it was really fun. And, um, but halfway through the class, Chef Ben, uh, leans over to me and says, Hey, uh, I'm a fan and Katie's cooking her bacon wrong. <laughs> right in the middle of this class. <laughs> Thank you, Chef Ben. I figured that out yeah. when it exploded in the oven. And yeah. anyway, smoke so uh, we should house. maybe add that Got to the it. outline too, because he gave he gave me some some good listener feedback. But uh, no, mainly we want to talk about uh, technology stuff, and there, the, some of the feedback that we get is stuff that really needs more than a, a couple minutes to talk about. And that's another reason why we like to do the feedback shows. We can kind of take on a little bit heavier feedback, but not something that's worth its own show. So right. this is going to be fun. Let, let's get started. All right. So um, the first thing we, we've gotten a couple of people talk to us about um, stylus, you know, the Evernote stylus, I, which I, which is actually an Adonit Jot Touch, I think, came out recently. Is that the one it is? I'll, I'll look it up. But Evernote just recently came out with a stylus and I've tried that. And oh, Evernote Jot Script, I think is what it's called. And as you can yeah. tell, I can't even remember the name of it. So it made such a lasting impression on me. Um, so I need to talk about my experiences with that because I tweeted about it a little bit. I did not write up a review of it. and Maybe I will, um, but I figured I'd talk about it now. But we got a lot of people asking us, do we use a stylus? How do we use a stylus if we use one? Which stylus do we use? And what do we use them for? So, I mean, I guess I can talk about my experiences with the Evernote and, and you can talk about how and if you use one. Yeah, you, why don't you start? Okay. So I was, I have never used a stylus. I, I mean, I've, I've tried a couple off and on here and there, but I've always liked the idea of a stylus. I, I mean, my dream is that the iPad becomes like a piece of paper, right? You know, you'd be able to, to pull it out and, mm. and, and, okay, maybe not a dream, but you pull it out and you can write on it and it picks up your text and your text just comes out beautifully. And you would, you would use the iPad in all instances rather than you would a legal pad. I mean, that would, that would be ultimately what I would want one of the uses for my iPad to be. Um, so 
I got this Evernote stylus because it was supposed to have one of the, and, and it does, one of the finest point tips. And, um, you know, most of these styluses have problems where, at least for me, I was always dragging my wrist across the screen and I was getting these stray wrist marks and things like that. And because of the super fancy Bluetooth technology in the stylus, that, that was all taken care of, right? So. Yeah. So, can we just back up a little bit? Okay, back up. Because it is, it is actually kind of complicated. The whole stylus with the iPad thing. Um, it is. So when you, when it started out, because it's a capacitive touch screen, um, the the initial attempts at, I think the plural is styli, but I'm not okay. sure. Styli. Uh, uh, but the initial technology was a capacitive touch pen. It was a pen that you know basically the iPad thought was a finger. And, and you said you nailed it. One of the problems was you'd have your wrist. If you had a, a pen, it's your natural tendency to, to rest your wrist on the writing surface. Like we've all been doing since first grade. And then the capacitive sensor got kind of freaked out because it felt like all these touches all over the place and it didn't really know what to do. And it was resizing. It, it was actually, a, it was quite hilarious what happened when you'd start writing on them. Uh, so, th- so at the beginning you had the problem with the capacitive touch. And then the other problem was they couldn't make a capacitive touch small enough to be very accurate and to, to be and, fine point and, by small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There was a stylus in that era that I bought that I still use. And it's, it's the cosmonaut from studio neat. And, but, but now like that's a, the, that's the exact opposite. That's not a thin stylus. Well, I, I'm giving some history here. Okay. Okay. Because I couldn't get a thin stylus that that worked worth a darn, I I, I did buy this Cosmonaut and and Studio Neat is the same guys that brought us, I believe, it was called the Glyph. Is that what it's called? The right. thing you yeah, can attach to your phone to a tripod. And they're really nice guys. I met them at Macworld a few years ago. You know, small indie hardware developers, and how can you not love guys that that stick it to the man that way? And so they came out with the Cosmonaut, and I bought one and. I still find a, a use for that. I use it in trial all the time because I'm doing um, presentations a lot of times with documents where I'm presenting a document and totally unrelated to 99% of our listeners. There's a great app called trial pad that allows you to display documents in trial and you can highlight them and make cutouts. And the cosmonauts a really great way to do that as opposed to your finger. I find it more accurate and it's perfect for that solution. So it still goes in my bag. And when I'm doing presentations, that's, that's the one stylus I'm using of that era still. And and we talked about how it's big and thick. It's kind of designed to be more like a um, magic marker is not the right word. Dry erase yeah, marker, a, like, big, a big, thick dry erase marker rather than a pen. Yeah, if, feels like a big Sharpie in your hand. It's a little, got, got a little more heft and the, the tip is soft because it's that capacitive material, but it's not, um, some of them, the tips actually degrade over time. This this one has held up, and I've had it now, I think, over two years. So that one has uh, has withstood the test of time, but it's not the kind of stylus that I think people are asking about. So then we move forward, and you're right. So now we have this low-power Bluetooth in the iPad. And in the middle time, there were some really interesting devices. I remember seeing on a Kickstarter, a guy had one that... You, you plugged in a digitizer to the old 30-pin dock connector. This was like for iPad 2 days. And the digitizer had a sensor in it, and it literally, I think, shot a sensor array over the top of your screen, and then it had a very special pin that would pair with it in some method, and that was much more accurate than the prior styli. And But it, I, I think it seemed kind of kludgy, and I'm not sure that ever went anywhere. And then we got the new Bluetooth technology, and in case you didn't, 
aren't up on this. Bluetooth has come a long way, and now it uses almost no power. And that's why we can have Fitbits that can track our steps and not have to charge them for a couple weeks, and it'll still send data to your iPhone. I mean, that's why um, the connections to your cars are getting... I mean, it's just... Bluetooth is much more stingy about power now, and that's making it much more useful for a lot of applications. And one of those applications is with the stylus, where they're putting the pressure sensitivity into the stylus itself. So if you press harder with the stylus, um, the pen senses that and sends the data to the iPad. And the smart app developers are tying into that data. So uh, whatever app you're using, if it's if it recognizes that specific stylus, for instance, PDF pen uh, for the iPad has certain ones it recognizes. If you press harder, it makes a thicker line. Uh, and that's where we're at now. And Katie has jumped in with this Evernote. Yes. Is that too much? Is that, is that too much background? That's, that's a lot of background, but I think it was helpful. Uh, I've been following it. I mean, it, cause yeah. I am interested like you, it's not my dream, but I would like to have a, a pin that works with the damn thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so well, now I got the dirty tag. Nah. I blew it. So the jot script Evernote edition stylus is what it's called. Seventy four ninety five, okay. and, and they're actually backordered about three to four weeks by the time that it, it looks nice. We I'm looking at the picture. It's a nice, it's a nice stylus. It has a good weight. It has a good feel. It, I mean, it feels like a very nice pen in your hand. And so I had high hopes for this. And the first time I used it, it's, it's optimized right now to work with penultimate, which is Evernote's app. But of course other app developers can, can build it around it. But as of the time that I tested it, penultimate was the only app that was, that was um, workable for it. And the first time I tried it, I, I pre-ordered it. So I got mine like in the first batch of people that got theirs, you know, as soon as they were released, I got mine and I tried it and it was a ridiculously miserable failure. It was horrible. It kept losing its connection. I had stray, you know, hand marks all over the page. I was missing letters. I was missing entire words. It was just an absolute, I mean, it was laughably bad. And, um, I mean, are you unclear in any way about my feelings towards it? No, I I think it's pretty clear. Okay. So um, I, I put it away and I was really kind of upset about it and bummed about it and um, sent a tweet off about it. And so the following weekend, I picked it up and I said, you know, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I'm holding it wrong. You know, I, I watched some videos on YouTube and other people were tending to have more success with it. So it turns out there had been an app update since the time that I tried it, because I guess I would got mine so early that, that the app wasn't ready yet. So there had been an app update, and I tried it again, and night and day. I mean, the experience was much better. It was, it, it still occasionally dropped out a couple of letters and words, and it was, you know, kind of not as good if you were on the edge of a page, and it would be more likely to drop out words. And it occasionally got some stray handprints, but overall, it was pretty darn good. It was, it was the best stylus experience that I had used on the iPad, you know, kind of a bummer was that at that time, again, Penultimate was really the only app that was optimized for it. I mean, if you... Oh, that'll change. That will change. Don't that worry will about change. that. You know, but if you want to use it with Notability, which is the app that I use most for, for taking notes on my iPad, it wasn't as good of experience because although Notability has the, the hand protection feature, it, you know, you, it wasn't built in as it, as it was with Penultimate. Um, so ultimately, I just decided that the stylus wasn't for me. Um, you know, my handwriting is not great to begin with and writing on an iPad on the glass service with a, a pen that's not quite a pen and not having that traction that you do with normal pen and paper, 
just magnified by a factor of 10, my deplorable handwriting. And, you know, what I was writing just really wasn't readable and it was still big and awkward. And so of all the styluses I've ever tried, the Evernote, the JotScript Evernote edition stylus was far and away the best. And I know that some people have had really good experiences, you know, handwriting with styluses and, and maybe I just need to take some handwriting lessons or something, but it may be too late for me. Um, but the conclusion I came to is that styluses just weren't for me. Yeah. Okay. So let me follow up on my, my end of this. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, looking at the website, I think they realistically show this Evernote pen, you know, the, the text size they use is not, um, it's not this, small, a small, right. exactly. It, it, but it's not super large either. There's a fair bit of, of data on the screen, but if you go to evernote.com, uh, you'll find that the, uh, jot script pen, they've got a nice sample there and they even have a video. I've been watching it while Katie's been talking about it. So it seems like a nice solution. It's 1.9 millimeter, which is definitely smaller than most of them out there. Uh, a couple years at Macworld, uh, Jot, the same company that made this Evernote pen, made one called the Jot Touch, which was one of the first to use the Bluetooth to do pressure sensitivity. And at that point, the pen they used is a stylus with a very fine tip, but a plastic pad, clear pad on the bottom. So you, you rub, you basically tap the pad against the screen and you write on the screen and it's clear. So you can see exactly where the point is. And I bought one at the time and like Katie, I've never been somebody who had great handwriting and like Katie, when you have, you know, the, the decreased, um, you know, friction precision that it's as difficult. The other problem with the jot touch is it is very loud because it taps every time you push against the screen. It's got this big plastic pad. You're basically tapping against the screen. It's never caused scratches. And I I continue to use the pen to this day Um, where it's, it's coming to my life is I'm not writing handwritten notes with it, but I, uh, I read a lot of PDFs. I mean, that's when, when you're a lawyer, that's one of the things you do a lot is you read a lot. So I, I really like using it with PDF pen and, uh, you know, whatever you're doing your PDFs in, because it's really great for doing highlighting with precision points, you know, to get your highlights in. That's true. Um, That's I will, very true. I will do a nice little handwritten note on the side occasionally, and it's legible with this pen. So I keep it in my desk drawer at work. I don't even carry it around with me, but I do use it several times a week. Uh, so it's kind of nice, but. Uh, like you, I've never really, it's really never caught with me. There's one more I'd like to talk about in this general subject though. And I did a Kickstarter. Um, I, you know how I always swore I'd never back another technology based Kickstarter project. Yeah. This you know, was after Kickst- your watch experience. Yeah. Well, Kickstarter is great for like hardware. Like somebody's going to make a stand or something like the glyph, uh, or even the cosmonaut, I think started as a Kickstarter thing. Uh, but I, I did back this up because, um, they had, they had used Mike Rody's name on it. And Mike Rody is the guest we had in the back past who is the sketch note army guy. And there's a device called the I sketch note. And it looks really interesting. It's a digitizer behind a paper pad. So you draw on it with the special pin on paper and it shows up on your screen. Huh? It looks really cool. I put the link in to the uh, notes, Katie, so you can check it out. I'm looking at it now. Um, yeah. They um they had two of them. They had the one for the iPad Mini and the one for the full size iPad. And when it was in the Kickstarter realm, I was convinced that they would have an iPad Retina Mini, and I would buy it. And then indeed, I ended up 
So I bought the Kickstarter for that and um, ended up buying an iPad Air, which is not the right size for uh, well, the send, sketch send, that I bought. Send it over here, yeah. And they, they told me, I actually wrote them, they said, we can't because we've committed to our manufacturing, we can't switch people out. So I'm not sure if I'm going to end up selling it or I can use it with my old iPad mini. I'm not sure yet, but it look, I, I'm very curious about this. Now, when I bought in, I think it was $120. And um, I'm sure they're going to be selling them, assuming that it's not a piece of junk. So maybe I'll just be the canary in the coal mine on this one. But it's a good idea. I, I wrote Mike Rohde and said, Mike, you know, should I be giving my money to these guys? And he says that, you know, it seems like a pretty good product. And I believe he's used one. So it, it's an interesting idea. So you'll be so it's a basically a, it's a portfolio for your iPad. You open it up. Your iPad's on the right side of the screen. Your your pad of paper is on the left side of the screen. You can draw on the pad of paper and it shows up great on your iPad. Yeah. So going back to the, the whole stylus idea for a minute, I, I really like the idea of the stylus, like the way that you use it for, I mean, like I said, my dream is always using the stylus to directly take notes on the iPad. I don't know that I'm personally ever going to get there, but I know that we there are people who are. I mean, we had the guest on show 100 who talked about his whole workflow of how he's he's uh, replaced his his journals and his daybooks with the iPad, and yeah. and how awesome yeah. is that? Um, I, I just I I personally am not going to be able to get there, but if if you've got good handwriting and if you're pretty happy with the way that you're currently taking notes with a stylus on your iPad, um, I think that these higher level styluses like the the Evernote stylus. Are, are just going to make that experience even better. I think they're great for doing precision, you know, kind of PDF editing and things like that. I know our friend Jeff Gamet uses a lot of different styluses in his artwork. And that may be something we have to have him and other artists come on the show and, and talk about and tell us about is how they're using the iPad for, for this fancy artwork. I'm interested in that. I think the solution that I am ultimately going to, to jump to, or not jump to, but kind of stay with is, um, you know, the whole taking notes on paper, which I hate carrying a different thing and, you know, capturing them, either scanning them or with the camera and putting them in my iPad. Yeah. And, but just, just think about how far we've come with the accuracy of styli in the last few years since the iPad first showed up and just, you know, project that out a few years. And I think it's only going to get better. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and there's another question about taking notes with the iPad that I have. I suspect it's going to take me a while to answer that one too. You, maybe I'll do the first sponsor. Yeah, go ahead and see when, and we've just, <laughs> we've just spent 18 minutes on styluses for the iPad. So this is how, Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is, this is why we can never get feedback. This is why then. we don't do feedback, what, but this is what these what shows are do? for. Oh, I had to tell you before I, I was getting ready to record the show and I said, I'm going to go up and record a podcast. And you know what Daisy said? She said, tell Katie Floyd. Hello. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so our first sponsor today is 1Password, and 1Password is a great application that creates and stores strong and unique passwords. It's multi-platform for the Mac, the PC, the iPhone, and the iPad. You can sync your data with Dropbox or iCloud. And the thing that makes it great is you can make these really great custom long passwords, and the application will go and fill them in for you in your web browser. Just go and fill. It does it all for you. On the uh, iOS platform, it's even better because it does it right inside the app. They have their own really great browser built inside the app. So you finally have a way to use real passwords on your iOS devices. And I was thinking about 1Password uh, earlier today because the holidays are upon us. 
And I was thinking about how much I use one password on the holidays. And I started making a list <laughs> because there's so many. Um, well, the first, yeah, of course I did. Uh, but the first thing is secure notes. I've talked about secure notes in the past, but have you ever thought about them in terms of your traveling? Um, for instance, I'm going to be traveling on Christmas and I'm going to my sister's house and she has an alarm on her house. And uh, she gave me the code ages ago. And if I don't want to just put that like. Well, no, she, she still loves me. Uh, but the, it doesn't make sense for me to put that like on her contact because somebody could get her alarm code. So I put it in a secure note. That's just an example. So I have a secure note for her that's got her alarm code in it. Uh, you could also put your travel itinerary in there. Um, every year, because my kids are geeks like their dad, uh, I actually put my Christmas list on a secure note in one password. Now that's so, smart. Yeah, so if somebody gets my iPad in my house, uh, they aren't going to be able to get to the list of things that I've I've bought for them. It's a great way to kind of keep that uh, keep that under control. Another thing I use one password for in the holidays is, of course, shopping. And you know, you can store your credit cards in there. But if you're traveling, also make sure to put your one eight hundred numbers in one password. Uh, you can even take a picture of your card, but just make sure you've got the essential data in there, including the, f- the phone number. So well, if there, you're there are fields the other, for all that in the credit card fields, if you take the time to fill it, them exactly, out. Exactly. And that's what I think you should do. Uh, because if you're on the other side of the country, I had this happen to me once at SeaWorld, uh, my wallet got lost at SeaWorld and I freaked out, but she I had one password. Yeah. I think one of those seals, those guys are shady characters, but so I, I had the one 800 numbers right there. I called them up. I had the cards canceled like within 15 minutes of realizing what had happened. And then of course my wallet was found and it was actually you know, not lost. It was part anyway. of the show where the seal <laughs> takes the wallet and then it mysteriously shows up in the otter's pen or something like that. Yeah. I, I'm not going it, to, it's already embarrassing enough. I'm not going to go there, but the, so, so the, uh, you can, you can store the information or you can also shop with it on iOS. Now I saw, did you see the, see the statistics about all the people who are doing all the Christmas shopping on their iPads? Yeah. It's, well, if I, they had one I, password, I, it, I was there. If they had one password, it'd be even easier because it auto fills all that stuff for you. You know, when you go to whatever website you like, think geek, it puts it all in for you. Well, if they were um, smart, they were like me and they just had one password on their iPad and they just stayed in bed and did all their Christmas shopping on Thanksgiving. Another thing. Yeah. And another thing you can do with this is you can add your family members as identities. And that way, when you're shipping to somebody, you can actually have it autofill that. And that's, you always have an identity for yourself, but think about other people you can put identities for and put them for your kids or your wife or your, your spouse or your significant other, whatever. And that makes it much easier to fill in forms for those people. Um, I, another thing I do because I'm a family geek is I go to somebody's house and they've always got a list of things for me to fix. And one of the things I do is I have uh secure notes for my family members with their Wi-Fi password on it. And sometimes their iTunes login because they don't know their own iTunes login and they don't, you know, so I keep, I, I actually use one password to store passwords for other family members. And I generally do that in secure notes. I was thinking, uh, as I was prepping for the show, I could also do that and give them their own, um, unique entries in one password and just do it in a smart mailbox or a smart, bo- uh, a smart filter, but I- I'm doing it currently just with a secure note. Um, I even take pictures of some of their technology and save it to one password. So when they call me and they have questions, I know what kind of router they have and you know, what their DNS number and all the other stuff is. So, uh, one, the, the point is one password can really help you out with this stuff. And if you're, if you want to get off the family tech support train, 
train some family members on one password, get them into it. It's a, it's a great gift to give somebody uh, secure passwords because, because the muggles out there really are worried about this and they have no clue how to fix it. And you can enable them by giving them one password. And of course it tastes much better than fruitcake. Um, so anyway, uh, go check out one password. You can get it from the Mac app store for forty nine ninety nine. Uh, if you're on the windows and Mac, you can get a bundle for sixty nine ninety nine to get it for both platforms. And the iOS app is worth every penny at seventeen ninety nine. I would definitely get that. So uh, thanks one password for all your support and everybody go out there and be safe on the holidays and share the password love. All right, David. So we got a question from Stan and Stan wants to know how do we physically take notes if there are people around? So professionally, when we meet people at trials or in a meetings, if they say various things, how do we take notes? And he is a faculty member. And so he meets a lot of people in meetings and has various type of interactions with them. And he needs to be able to take notes and he'd like to be able to do it with his iPad. But he just doesn't find that the bamboo stylus is cutting it for him. Maybe he'll like one of our other suggestions. So how do you do that? Well, I think you and I are are not the best proponents of handwritten notes on the iPad because neither one of us right. have very good handwriting. And, and, and you know, even when you give me a piece of paper, my notes are very rarely uh, linear words. I, I think visually, so I draw a lot of pictures. I'll take notes on the iPad in MindNote or iThoughts HD and make a mind map of what's being talked about. Or um, I'll take notes sometimes with notability, but that's if I want to record. Uh, but often I'll just write down a piece of text and I do that usually in drafts because I'm not sure where it's all going to go at the end. Uh, I don't take the handwritten notes. I I've worked with people though, that do take handwritten notes on the iPad and some people can make it work just fine. There's some apps out there that allow you to write larger and then it shrinks the script down. And often they will auto, you know, they will auto scroll as you write. And, uh, I know like, I think there's one called notebooks. It's just called notebooks. That's very good at that. How about you, Katie? I do mine a couple of different ways. I mean, if I'm if I'm intentionally sitting down in a meeting and taking notes with my iPad, I'll usually do that in one of two ways. Um, it will either be in Notability, uh, which is my note-taking app of choice, because it also has the ability to record the meeting, and you can export it to PDF, and you can save the Notability into Evernote or Dropbox or anything like that. So Notability is probably my favorite dedicated note-taking app of, of choice. And I think that's especially great for people in an academic uh, setting or college students or someone who wants to go back and be able to refer to a lecture because you can take notes both typing or writing with a stylus. So I like notability for that. Um, And and the key feature of that, I'm sure we've talked about this before on the show, but the big feature is it indexes that recording to the, the typing or the writing. So if you're listening to the lecture and you say, you know, follow the Roman Empire, you just type that in while it's recording and later you go tap those words. It'll resume the recording from what the lecturer was saying at the moment you type those words. So you can take much uh, sparser notes and still have the, it basically just turns into an index for you and you can go back and just selectively listen to the portions. Yeah. Um, so that's one option. 
The other thing is if I'm if I'm taking notes in a meeting that you know, like I was in a a, a meeting about uh, of all things our phone system or upgrading our phone system at the office, and it was my job to meet with these guys. Um, and I've got all the information about our current phone system and our current technology and all of that. I keep that kind of stuff in Evernote. So in that case, I went ahead and just opened up a quick note in Evernote and started because this was mainly bullet points and questions and talking points. I went ahead and took that note in Evernote because I knew at the end of the day it wasn't going to be that complex of a note, and that was where I wanted that data when I was done with it. So so that's why I did that in Evernote. But for for casual meetings, meeting people, um, quick jotting down things, I actually tend to do that more on my iPhone than my iPad. Um, just because you know, if I'm not sitting down at a table and meeting with someone, I'm likely not going to whip out my iPad and start tapping on it. I'm much more likely to pull my iPhone out of my pocket. And those will usually go um, in drafts where I can then send them somewhere. I can send them to day one for a time entry, or I can send them um, to OmniFocus for task entries or to, to create a project to, you know, to create entries for a project later or something like that. Yeah. In the day job, I always have a note cards in my pocket, a pen, and I do take notes that way. Uh, sometimes like today I was in a meeting and I, and the way the flow of things just made it easier for me to, to fill in three note cards with three different subjects. And then I've got those sitting on my desk. Since we finished the show tonight, as I clear out my day, I'm going to create some omni-focus tasks and some notes and some other things about that. So I have to go through the step of digitizing that. Uh, turning analog into digital, which takes a little extra time, but it made sense at that time. But uh, alternatively, I could have taken notes and drafts if the, if the context allowed for it, and then I would be doing the same process, except I'd be just doing that digitally. Yeah. And, and it depends on what I have with me. Sometimes if I'm in an impromptu meeting and I grab a legal pad, I'll take notes on that, but I will almost always try to get those into a digital format before the end of my day. And and that's the big thing is, is I, I try to end my day. If I'm leaving the office at five o'clock, I try to end my day at four o'clock or four thirty so that I can have that last 30 minutes or that last hour to process everything that I've done the day to, to wrap up the day and to close things down. You, you want another, uh, this is not kind of out of our scope, but another great productivity tip is uh, schedule yourself every Friday at 4 p.m. or an hour before you finish your last day of work, when, whenever that is. And just schedule yourself, put it on your calendar as an appointment with yourself um, uh, called Week Audit. And go through and look at every appointment that you had over the week and every major thing you worked at in the week, and just make sure that you have all the plates to the ground, and that if, you know if something arose out of those meetings, maybe you missed capturing a task or something. I've, every week I do this, and every week I find things that I missed. Uh, and then you can get that into your digital system, because once you check out for the weekend, you're never going to do that again. So you have to do it at the end of the week on Friday. And then once you finish that kind of week audit, then you look forward to the next week and just see what's going on. And it doesn't hurt maybe to send out a few, you know, reminders of meetings or, or just schedule yourself some additional time to prepare for something you didn't, you know, you forgot that was coming up. That, yeah. That's kind of out of our thing, isn't it? Yeah. But you you, boy, actually, it you actually did a blog post on that too. Hopefully we'll, we'll link did that. I? I, you for, think, I remember I you talking about that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's totally, totally useful. And then that's, that's aside from the OmniFocus, you know, review, but, but just, just look at the calendar and look at what happened and make sure everything's clean. I don't know who I learned that from, but boy, it sure was useful. 
I want to switch anyway. it, um, gears a little bit and, and talk about some of the stuff from the home, uh, both uh, cable cutting and home audio and home video and things like that. And we've had a lot of people suggest that we do a, uh, a cord cutting update show. You know, we did a cutting the cable show where I talked about how, you know, a couple of years ago now, I disconnected my cable TV subscription, you know, for those who are going to write, I do, st- I did still use cable internet. Um, and this kind of wanted an update on that. And I- I'll tell you candidly, um, my process hasn't changed much. Go back and listen to the cutting the cable show. And my process really didn't change much throughout those, those two years or so that I had cable disconnected, but I do have a confession to make David. And yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that you have one coming. Yeah. And, and that is, I recently resubscribed to a cable television subscription and I feel kind of guilty about that. That was episode 62 that you talked about that a hundred episodes ago. Yeah. I, um, I cut the cable and I was really, really happy for two years and I'm still happy with that decision to cut the cable. Um, but it, it ultimately, it, it came down to two things, money and trees. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the big, I, I want to, I want explanation that doesn't help the me. money and trees doesn't help you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I was really happy cutting the cable. And as, as I, as I explained in that whole show, my primary source of, um, of, of, of television came from a digital antenna that I had put in a back bedroom of my house and pointed out the window. Yeah. You were so proud of that antenna, Katie. I was we so put it proud in of the that show antenna. notes. You talked I, about I love how you that wired antenna. it. It's a great antenna. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, but then the trees grew. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I built. <laughs> yeah, I see. I thought you were going to be something all green and eco friendly, but it's actually just the trees are in the way. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I built this house about two years ago and um, those trees were little. What are baby trees called? You know, baby trees, fawn, fawnlings or fin- I don't know. Seedlings. Seedlings. Se- baby trees. Yeah. Yeah. And and now they're not baby trees anymore. It's been about three years, and now they're they're teenage trees. And um, when so they're they're kind of disrupting my my antenna. And so I looked at repositioning the antenna, and it was it was doing pretty good. But especially when the wind blew or when the weather was weird, um, that my my antenna would come in and out, which was kind of frustrating. So I I well, looked you're, at, you're in Florida. Are you, are you sure it's not the Gators? It could be the gators. It definitely could be the gators. Um, so I, I looked at getting a different antenna, and in order to do that, I was going to have to get a higher power antenna and, and actually mount it in my attic because of some restrictions with my my homeowners association. And you know that was going to cost me somewhere between two hundred and three hundred bucks because I don't do attic work. And so before I before I put that money into it, I started to look and see, you know, the All Things D actually about that time had come out with an article and you were starting to see people talk about these quote unquote cord cutter packages from cable companies um, where it was actually less expensive or about the same price to subscribe to a very low tier cable TV pra- package and Internet because you would get a discount for bundling the services together than it was to just subscribe to a single service. So I started I started looking into that with my cable company and found that sure enough they have what they call a starter cable TV package that includes like you know a dozen channels of course half of them are shopping channels so I don't use them but it you know includes about you know 12 or 15 channels or something like that. And um 
it, it was actually within a couple of bucks of the same price of what I was paying just for cable internet. And it offered me some protections for a couple of years because I was only paying for cable internet. They kept, you know, jacking the price up on me every couple of months. So, you know, someday there's going to be a technology that arises where all of the people just get the internet. You know, they just get a connection and we're going to be able to take our cables boxes and cast them to the wind and take our cellular provider bills and burn them ceremoniously. And there will be much joy around the world because it seems like both those industries, the cable companies and the cell cellular carriers, they do nothing to engender us. It feels like every chance they get, they want to stick it to you. I just had an experience with my cable, my cellular provider recently. And it's just like, there's, there's no loyalty from us to them because they just they just want to take every penny they can. I think I'm ranting. So, I'm so sorry. the bottom line is you are. I was going to say the bottom line is I'm paying a couple bucks more a month than I was for just my and and by a couple I mean like four um, a month than I was for my cable TV subscription. It's locked in for like two years, and um, you know it's it's done, and um, I don't have to worry about the trees anymore. So. Um, the, the other update to that is in that, I think it was in that cord cutting show. I talked about at the same time I cut the cord. I also lost my, I had a, I had a bundle deal where I had, you know, cable television and, and your phone, and phone yeah. through my, my cable company. And so what I did is I got this device called an Obi talk device. And I've, I've blogged about this extensively that, um, it was a, a $40 box that was a bridge that allowed you to connect Google voice to a physical, to a landline. And so yeah. you connected you connected this to your landline and it would kind of circulate through all the land the the ports in your house and so whatever phone you plugged into a port you got dial tone and you were calling and receiving calls on your on your Google voice number. And so for 40 bucks for over 2 years I've been making and receiving calls at my house on on my Google voice number and that was important at the time because you know you're talking about your favorite cell providers I had a cell provider at that time that had really really spotty coverage at my house and I needed a backup way to make calls when when my cell coverage failed or when my microcell failed and uh, so that was what I used and um I just got an update listener sent it to me that says that Google is discontinuing the service that allows that to work Google Voice is still continuing for now I personally have questions for how long that service will last. Um, But whatever that protocol is that allowed the box to work, um, they're discontinuing that effective um, May of 2014. So that's going to go away. And I think I'm okay with that. I, I, you know, I've, I've switched cell phone providers. I don't need a landline anymore for as long as Google continues to support it. I can continue to keep my Google voice number and it'll just continue to forward to my cell phone. So um, I think, you know, come, come May and maybe sooner, I'm just going to go ahead and disconnect the phones around my house and that, that'll be that. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so, but for people uh, who are fo- looking for another phone solution, I've, I've heard good things about Uma. So I may, may check them out. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the idea that Google voice has is, is pretty good. You know, it's an internet based telephone. It takes messages for you, but it, it involves Google and, um, you know, it would involve them transcribing all of your messages. And it's a company that makes their money selling ads. So, you know, it's once again, if you're comfortable with that, then go for it. Well, right right now, it's the phone number that I give everybody. I don't really want to give my phone number. Yeah. I got over that because I had, I had a Google voice number for a while attached to kind of the 
my Max Sparky Empire, and I used to give that to people. I had it on business cards and stuff. And at this point, I'm like, you, you know, you're either in my circle or you're not. And if I give you my cell phone number, you got my cell phone number. I just, ha- I'm just not that uptight about it anymore. Um, the, I think a follow up to this whole cord cutting thing, and and to answer your question, I've not cut the cord. I don't have any interest in it. My family likes broadcast TV way too much. Uh, although I don't really watch much sports, so I I would probably be. be- be a pretty good candidate for in a year or two when the kids are grown and off to college. Cause I think my wife and I would be fine with, without broadcasting. Well, well, you may want to look because there are, there are a couple of tiers of cable packages and you're probably paying a lot for those sports channels that you're not watching. I know, I know yeah. there was a second level cable package that I didn't opt for. That was somewhere in between the regular cable package and the, the bare bones cable package that had a couple of the premium channel, not premium, but you know, ca- cable channels, but just none of the sports channels. We got a good deal on HBO. So I signed up for it and I have, have not had a premier movie channel for a long, I think in my life really. So we've been enjoying it the last six months that we do watch movies on it. So I think we're stuck with that. Um, but I want to just follow up generally where, are you, so where are you getting your entertainment these days? Um, I'm basically still getting it the same place as I always was. Um, instead of the antenna, I'm now getting it through the basic cable. But for the most part, that's really just the major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. And those are all still coming through my old TiVo HD. Um, I have not upgraded to the new TiVos because I've got lifetime on those boxes. And as long as they'll keep ticking, I'll keep keeping them going. I feed them hard drives every couple of years and they, they keep going. So um, that's where most of my entertainment comes from. For the the handful of shows that are on other networks that I that I don't get through my very basic package, um, I will either get those through Netflix. Um, I, I I did the Hulu thing for a while and I just didn't find the content there compelling. Um, Netflix, I'm I'm going back and watching some old programming on. I I want to start watching Breaking Bad. I'm watching some Damages and some of those those older series that I never got into. And House of Cards, I want to watch over the holidays. Um, and then I've got a couple of iTunes season passes, like two or three, and and that's it. I I watch almost everything on Netflix. I cannot get over how much I use that service. But I I did cut. I had the the Super Netflix where you got a disc and you had the online uh, digital subscription, and I cut that about a year ago to where I just get the, I guess the subscription where you can watch the streaming service yeah. and. And, uh, so occasionally I will buy a movie and now I'm just buying them on iTunes because it shows up on the iPad. I don't have to do all this magical, you know, ripping and it's on the cloud in essence. Now, do you, do you really yeah. mean you buy them or do you mean you rent them? I buy them. I buy them. I mean, in the last year I bought like five movies. Yeah. So the, yeah, but I do, I am buying them. I bought a Pixar movie. I bought the new Star Trek movie. Are you proud I'm very of me? I'm proud of you. And, um, so so I'm buying stuff. And my last thing is completely sort of related. If you are listening to this and you have Netflix and you have not watched Sherlock yet, shame on you. Yeah. Shame on you. Just go watch. Have you watched it yet? No, Katie? but it's in my queue. Okay. That needs to be at the top of your queue. So do that before we record another okay. show. All right. But- and I don't want you to watch it the way you watched war games. I want you to actually watch Sherlock. So good. Before we get into trouble, or before I get into more trouble, um, I want to go ahead and take a break and talk about our next sponsor, because I won't get in trouble doing that, right? Yeah. Um, I want to go ahead and talk about Ting. 
And I am really excited about Ting. I don't know if you've noticed that because I've I've grabbed most of the ad spots and haven't let David do any for Ting. But David mentioned about, you know, nobody really likes their cell phone provider. And and there's a reason for that because they're a pain because they they charge you for every little nickel and dime that you use and you have to pay this exorbitant fee for these plans and likely you're not using but a fraction of the services. And Ting isn't like that. Ting is different. Um, first off, what are they? They're an MVNO, so they resell on the Sprint network. So if you live in an area that has good coverage on the Sprint network, you really need to take a look at Ting. So Ting is completely, truly, and utterly contract-free. No contracts. You don't have to stay with them for a year or two years. No early termination fees. Done. Um, what they do is they give you the freedom to pick your plan. So you start by picking how many voice minutes do you want, how many data uh, or how much data do you want, um, and how many text messages do you want. But the beauty is you're just kind of picking something to get started because they it's it's on a sliding scale. If one month you go up and you use a lot of voice minutes and no text messages, you're going to get dropped down to the lowest level text plan and you'll get bumped up on the the higher level data plan. The next month, if if you don't use as much uh, a voice, that'll get bumped back down. So you don't have to say, well, occasionally I talk a lot, so I need this you know thousand five thousand minute plan when you don't need that ninety nine percent of the time. So Ting allows you to really customize your service level, but you don't have to do it on a month-by-month basis. They'll do it for you. You only get billed for for what you're actually using, and they'll drop you down and credit you the difference if you if you end up not using it. Um, they've got all the basic features that you would expect. They've got voicemail, caller ID, tethering. They've got tethering and hotspots are available on their phones without an additional charge. Three-way calling, call forwarding, all those other features, they're just part of the service. You don't have to see some additional charge. You don't have to add them on. No additional purchase or anything like that. Um, and you also won't see any of these other little mystery fees. They're only going to charge you the taxes that they are legally required to to collect. There's no, you know, what what is this recovery fee or all of these other fees that you see on your bill? Um, they're done with that. So, you can you can start with Ting. Uh, you can pick up one of the devices that they have um, on their website. So you can go over and you can look at the various devices. They've got a lot of cool Android smartphones on there. Um, or here's the thing. You can bring your own device to the Ting network if you've got a compatible device. And you can go on their website and they'll tell you what devices are compatible. And I know a lot of Mac Power user listeners especially are going to say, what about the iPhone? I'm not going to go use an Android device or another type of device. I want to use the iPhone. Well, the newer iPhones are compatible on the Ting network, and you can find all the information on their website about what type of phone you need and how you can program it uh, and bring it over to the network, um, and, and they'll help you walk walk through that. So if you ever need help with anything, you just call them. Their their number is right on their website. I, I like their number. It's uh, 855-TING-FTW. They'll pick it up. A real-life person between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern Time will answer your call, and they'll they'll walk you through exactly how it works. So go check out their website at 5x5.ting.com. That'll tell them that we sent you. Um, you'll also get $25 off your first Ting device or $25 towards your first uh, month of Ting service if you if you use that link. And while you're there, use their um, usage calculator. You can plug in information about how much uh, over the last couple of months, how many minutes have you used, how much data have you used, how much text have you used, and what has your bill been? And Ting will tell you, and you're going to be surprised at how much you can save by switching over to the network. I've talked to a couple of people at the office about switching over to Ting, and um, 
they were shocked. So go check them out, 5by5.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for their continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so I heard that name, Ting, FTW. Yeah. And uh, Ting is is also uh, related to Hover, right. which is another great company. They're, they're both um, they're both under the two cows brand. Exactly. You know what I did? I just went into Hover and I just bought SparkyFTW.com. Oh dear, of course you did. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I, I bought it. All right. I hope I hope what you used our, our coupon code Mac Power Users. Well, I was just asking you, what is it? Our discount code is it? Yeah, MPU? It's Mac Power right, users. MP. Oh, there you okay. Go. Well, I got to get that. I need to get my percentage off. Oh man! So this is this is costing me money from another sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can you can you put that on hold for a minute, or go ahead and go? Oh and yeah, go I'm, ahead, I'm done now. I already did it. I, I own okay. it. It's Good. mine now. Sparky FTW. Right. This is the second time, Katie. You've cost me money on a on a domain during I the show. I was just reading the ad spot. Okay, the first um, one was on. So purpose. let's. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but we also, uh, staying in the home, we got a lot of feedback on home audio because uh, you and I kind of got into a little bit about what we've done recently for our home audio. And I talked about Sonos and you talked about your much saner solution of, you know, a couple hundred dollars for a connected subwoofer and, and soundbar. Yes. Now, I, I would like you at some point and, and you can get there a little bit later if you want. But I'm not sure I fully understand what Sonos gives you. So at some point, I'd like you just to walk through how that works. It's it's a well. So Sonos is a um, it's a set of speakers that have amplifiers built into them. So I mean, I guess maybe I'm showing my age, but it used to be if you bought a speaker, it was just a speaker. You know, you had to connect it to an amplifier, and so you'd go to the stereo store, you'd buy an amplifier, then you'd buy speakers, and you'd run wire uh, back and forth from them. And, uh, you know, the Sonos has that built in. And I know there's lots of other devices that do that now. But the, well, the other thing Sonos has is a really great uh, wireless networking system. And so there's various ways you can connect them. You can connect them from the speaker itself, or they also sell a little thing that's, that I think they call it the bridge, that you plug into your Ethernet port and you plug it right into your network. And these things just connect to each other. And then they've got really great software. So the iPad, the iPhone, the i I um, and the Mac all have their own Sonos software. So you can very much customize what they sound like and how they fit together. As, as an example, you could get the soundbar, which is the one you'd stick under your TV, and you can get the subwoofer, and then you can get what they, they have a new speaker called the Sonos One, which is two little speaker. It's, it's a small speaker, and you get two of those, and you could, in, in essence, create your surround sound system in your house, and you'd configure it in the app. And... And you have control over all of them. So I, I have one uh, in the bedroom, I have one in the family room, and I have one in, in, in the other downstairs room. I have a small house, so we don't need that many. Um, and everything works together. So if I want to listen to Christmas carols, I can turn it on and I can hear it everywhere in my house. And it's great. So you're walking around. The music sounds great. They sound great. They're easy to configure. And I can control them from my phone, my iPad, or my Mac. Now, and where, it, forgive me if this is a silly question, where is the music coming from? Because in my airplane network, I can either, or, or just standard Bluetooth, the music is either coming from my iTunes library on one of my Macs, or the music is coming from my iOS device that is streaming to it. So where is the Sonos yeah, and, music coming from? So the Sonos can, I mean, it's very similar, frankly. The, so Sonos works with the streaming services. So if you've got one of the streaming accounts, it will just send that up to it. 
it also can work from a, a connected library. Like one of my projects for after Christmas, I've got a little time off is I'm going to get it all set up on my Drobo five in and set it up so I can stream it all from any device off that five in. Uh, you can also stream it from the device itself. So what I do currently primarily is I just stream it from my phone because it's always in my pocket and my phone is big enough that I've got all my key playlists downloaded at any time. So from the Sonos app, I, it'll see my iTunes playlist and I just pick a playlist and add it to my Sonos and hit go. And it goes and starts playing the music and it's just great. Uh, they, they sound really good. They're not cheap. It's, I think it, it's, it's much like the Apple experience. I mean, you don't, they don't make junk. Um, they, the speakers sound great. Um, when last time we talked about it, I got a bunch of email from people saying that they're overpriced and that I'm, I'm ridiculous. And I got a bunch of email from people saying that they also have Sonos and they absolutely love them. So take from that what you will. Uh, I do have a couple of complaints. Uh, one of them is I can't play directly from my iTunes app on my iPhone. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't play send, you know, there's not a way to make it an AirPlay receiver. And I think they should make, even if they made a device I had to pay a little for, I would be happy to do now, that. Now, I've seen make, conflicting reports. Can you plug the Sonos into an Airport Express? Yes. So so yes. couldn't that be your AirPlay receiver? Yeah, but it's a little, it's a little kludgy. Uh, so the way it would work is, and I've done this, I have an Airport Express in the house. So I, I plugged it in uh, directly to the Sonos. It's got an auxiliary in on it and you want to have some fun, hook up a MIDI keyboard to a Sonos and start like blasting music through your whole house. Like if your kids are sleeping in and they won't wake up just theoretically, if you were to put a pipe organ and play the um, Phantom of the Opera music really loud on Saturday at 9am, you would be amazed what could happen just theoretically. But so I digress. So the, the airport express has an audio out on it and I just plug that into the Sonos. So what I would do then is go in the Sonos app and say, for the input, go to that, that auxiliary in on that Sonos device. And then I'd go into, and then I would go into the iTunes, I'm sorry, the music app on the iPhone and play to the airport express as an airplay device. So it's like two steps. It's not, a, it's not a huge deal. And, um, and that's something I really need to explore further. There may be an easier way to do it, but that's the only way I've been able to make it work. Okay. Uh, but, but what I would, I really do with it is I play music through the Sonos app off my iPhone. That's already downloaded on my phone. And it sounds absolutely, it's the best stereo I've ever had. And granted, I bought my previous stereo right after I got out of college, I didn't have any money. I think I bought it at Sears for like $300. So maybe it's one of those things where any stereo would sound better than what I had before, but I absolutely love this. And I'm going to continue to add pieces to it because I can't afford to, you know, put it all together at once. But my next big one is the subwoofer and that's like 600 bucks. So I don't know when that's going to happen, but in the next year, you know, I'll feel really good about myself and have a little bit of money burning a hole in my pocket. That'll be the next luxury thing I buy for myself. So I'm enjoying it. Well, Vern specifically asked us about how I was, you know, repurposing stereo speakers as I was going around my my, my sound system and, and creating that. And and that, that may be a, 
a poor word for repurposing stereo speakers, because as I heard you describe what you considered a stereo speaker, I realized that you and I kind of have different versions of that. And by when I talk about speakers, I, I typically talk about speakers that have built-in amplifiers built into them. You know, I'm not talking about just standard sp- box speakers that have to be plugged into a receiver in order to to work. Um, so what I have done is I have created, um, you know, kind of a, a network of airplay and Bluetooth devices around my house that, that I stream music to, you know, for example, one of the things that I did is, and I think there's a blog post on this somewhere is I drilled, a, I've, I've got cabinets in my kitchen and my kitchen's pretty open. So it's, it goes to most of the house and um, I've got a little space between the cabinets and the ceiling where, you know, most people would probably put plants or other stuff that would just catch a bunch of dust. And so what I did is I, I put a, a set of audio engine, a two speakers up there which are great little speakers that will, will really fill the, the room with, with a good quality sound. Um, and I drilled a hole because I've got a, a microwave that's mounted up above my oven. And so I drilled a little hole down to the speakers because I've already got power there. And I, um, I plugged in the speakers and I plugged in an Airport Express and I hid this all behind a cabinet and I ran the wire up to the top of the cabinets. And so I've now got speakers plugged into power that's all hidden behind cabinets, plugged into an Airport Express, all hidden behind cabinets. And so I've got AirPlay speakers now above my kitchen cabinets. So I use that pretty regularly when I come home from work and I'm, you know, making dinner in the kitchen. That's that's where I'll stream music or listen to podcasts or or do whatever from. Um, I've also got a couple of Apple TVs hooked up to TVs around here that I will stream things to occasionally. Those aren't my favorite ways to listen to music just because the TV has to be on. Yeah. Well, one of the nice things about the Sonos is you can send it to all of the speakers or some of the speakers. Um, we have like when we have people in the summer or in the fall here and we do barbecues, I take the one upstairs and I put it in the backyard and I can turn the volume up and down on them individually from the app. It's a it's a very empowering kind of experience and it, it just works. Yeah. Yeah. And you it. can do that from iTunes on the Mac and send to AirPlay multiple speakers, but you can't do that from the iPhone. And that's that's yeah. a problem. I mean, one of the nice things about the soundbar is they even have like special modes where it, and I'm not even sure all the electronics involved, but if I'm watching a TV show, it'll make the dialogue louder. Yeah. And the boomy part's not quite as loud. I mean, it's, and I'm sure this stuff exists elsewhere. Yeah, I think my soundbar I has that, that kind of feature, like a, a, a yeah. voice clarity feature. I, I get you all the emails I receive saying this stuff is too pricey, but I I, I haven't regretted the purchase. Yeah. Although I couldn't, <laughs> like I can't I can't buy all the pieces I need. It's just going to take time. But I I expect I'll be using them for a long time, so I'm I'm very happy with it. Yeah. So so what I've done to kind of repurpose speakers is, you know, people used to have I used to have at least speakers that went with my computer, right? I mean. Before, mm-hmm. before yeah. we had, you know, monitors that had built-in speakers or things like that, we all had kind of like a desk, a, a set of computer speakers on our desk. Like the amplified speakers. Yeah, and, and I had pretty decent ones. So when, when I no longer needed that, I took those speakers and I repurposed them and I actually put them in a closet in my, in my office because I just opened the door to the closet and boom, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but they're centrally located so it works. And I've got an airport express in there because it's hooked up to my printer that's in the closet. And now I've got speakers in, in my closet. So that's where my office speakers are is they're in my closet, they're repurposed, they're off my desk and they're part of my airplay system. I've told you about those used to be the speakers that were in my kitchen, but when I had those better speakers that I was using um, in a bedroom somewhere and I no longer needed them in that bedroom, 
those speakers got repurposed and got put in the kitchen. So it's kind of like, as I no longer need these speakers in these dedicated places, they're getting repurposed and, and moved to other places and, and put as part of my, my home house audio setup. Um, the, the bathroom was, was a difficult one for me because I definitely wanted audio, um, for when I'm getting ready in the morning, but I didn't want to actually take my iOS device into the bathroom for, you know, steam and stuff yeah. like that. Sure. Um, so I just got one of those jam boxes and, and put mm-hmm. it in there and, and that's worked out well. Now it's Bluetooth. It's not airplay, which I have found is actually more reliable sometimes connection wise, but, um, it's, it's, you know, kind of a whole nother network. Yeah, and I, I don't want to spend much more time yeah. on this, but I, as I said, last year's gift show, I, I bought the bigger size jam box at my work and I love it. Still use it all the time. And when we're going somewhere, if we go out of town, sometimes I'll just bring it with me. You know, if we go on a road trip, I'll just throw it in the trunk. And um, if we want some tunes at some point in the hotel room or whatever, I, I've got them. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's a great. The little jam thing. box. I thought about getting, and in fact, if not for the fact that it sits on the counter in my bathroom, I would have gotten the larger one and maybe I should have. Um, but the bigger one definitely would have been nice to, you know, like take out in the backyard for when you're cooking out and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Let's move okay. on. Um, actually, before we do, I want to talk about um, our sponsor Drobo and there's some good news from Drobo. Uh, they've got some new announcements. They've got bundles and apps. So let's talk about that. The first thing is back in the old days when Drobo was great, uh, they had bundles and then Drobo started getting more into supporting, um, you know, going into big business and now they're great again. You know, we talked to Jeff, he came on the show and they've brought the bundles back. So now if you want to go to one place and get your Drobo with the drives, you can do it. So that's, that's really great. So they've got the five in for $549 or the five D for six ninety nine. But if you want to start adding drive combinations to it, you can like the five in with six terabytes. Eight ninety nine. You've got everything you need in one package. Five D with twenty terabytes. Like wow. Well, that you know that makes sense if you're like a video production guy. Um, you get the speed of the the Drobo five D with twenty terabytes at sixteen ninety nine. It's not cheap, but that's twenty terabytes of storage. So that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of bits. Uh, so they've got that. Well, and, all set and we up should now, mention so that if, they have they have bundles all in between too. You don't have to go with yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I like the idea of 20 terabytes. I think, I don't I think know you why. should go buy 20 terabytes right now. It makes me really happy. I'm just going to shoot everything high high def my whole life and just save it all. Um, and so they've got it there. You can buy it without the drives as well, but they've got some bundles there, and I think that makes it a lot easier. Um, they've also got uh, storefront shopping for apps and an installer for apps. So it's starting to get a lot more of experience like an iOS device. I can't device. even begin to tell you how happy the apps makes me. Yeah. Okay. And and the context for this is the is really the Drobo Five N, which is the the networked one that you plug into your Ethernet port, and you start making it really functional in your house to do all this stuff for you. And Drobo's been really, I know from just talking to people behind the scenes, they have really just been crushing it lately in terms of getting uh, these third party developers that come on board and bring apps to Drobo and give it more functions. Uh, so you can go in, there's two kinds of apps. They have the ones that are supported by developer and Drobo. So that's kind of the partnership type apps. And there's community apps, which people on the outside community are putting together and they are also putting those up at drobospace.com. So some of the apps that we can talk about are Plex, which Katie's already using to serve media to her house. So you can download that straight onto your Drobo 5N and turn it into a Plex server. Done. Another one is Copy. It lets users sync and share files on a Drobo 5N with 
uh, others anywhere. So it, it like gives you this great source of data. Elephant Drive lets users back up files on a Drobo 5 into Amazon's S3. I am seriously looking at this because I, you know, I, I have the current system to back up my, my Drobo is I have a, a big uh, USB drive that I plug into it once in a while and just copy everything. I don't think it would be that expensive for me to put all this stuff up on Amazon S3. So I'm going to be checking that out. Uh, there are special offers for Mac Power user listeners. You can save 10% off your purchase of any Drobo at drobostore.com using the code MPU10. But I'm going to tell you about one that's kind of off the reservation here. This isn't this doesn't give us credit, but it gets you a better deal. Amazon and B&H Photo are having some really great pricing on Drobo 5N uh, now through December 23rd. So if you're thinking about getting yourself one as a Christmas present or for somebody else, first of all, if that's the case, you're a really nice gift giver. And secondly, you can get a good price at Amazon and B&H. So check those out. But I would ask that you tweet out Drobo for MPU if you're looking into these so they know that uh, you found them through us. So the, the tweet hashtag would be hash Drobo, the number four MPU. Uh, let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. I'll tell you, Katie, I'm I'm very excited about these Drobo apps. I mean, that's what the Drobo 5N needs to make it really special, is the ability to install apps and give it additional features. And I know that they're not done with the ones I just talked about. There's there's more coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about the apps. I can't wait to see where Drobo goes from here. And uh, I know they've got more to tell us, and um, I'm excited about it. So thanks, Drobo, for your continued support of Mac Power users. Um, and, and David, can, can I say one thing, not related to Drobo or anything, but before we switch on the, the home automation bandwagon, just while I'm thinking about it. So yeah. I'm going off the reservation a little bit here. You know, it's the end of the year. It's the holiday season. It's December. Um, and, and we've had a lot of really awesome sponsors who many have been with us all year long. Um, some have been with us multiple years on multiple runs. And you were talking about tweeting out Drobo hashtag and all that other stuff. Um, and, and I guess I would just like to ask the listeners, uh, you know, if you've bought something or used something or, or, you know, learned about a, a, a program or an app or developer because of Mac Power users, this is a great time of year to let them know. Um, you know, just let them know how much we appreciate their support. Let them know that, that their support of the show is, is, is working. Um, and it, it really helps us and it helps our, our, our friends and the, um, and our sponsors of the show. And so if, if, if something like that has happened over the last year and, and, you know, you feel so inclined that, that would be awesome. Just send them an email, tweet them, something like that. And uh, David and I would really appreciate it. Yeah, because it, it's hard for people to know. You don't really get the kind of feedback from podcast advertising. They're, they're putting their faith in us. And I think that really helps everybody. Okay, so let's get back to automation because this is an ongoing subject with us and we got some really great feedback in relation to the last show we did on it. Um, some of them were talking about these locks and, um, and well, I don't know, you want to summarize it, Katie? There was, there, there was quite a bit of controversy over these uh, digital locks and the Bluetooth lock that you are, you're using. Yeah. So our good friend George Starcher, who's joined us on at least one and maybe a couple of shows to talk about security. Um, we talked about the Bluetooth lock and, and George, I believe has a hobby of picking locks, which has always made me a little bit nervous about George, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But George said, you know, keep in mind um, that all of your locks suffer a much simpler security flaw than somebody trying to hack in and clone your Bluetooth signals. And that is the rock next to your flower beds. And so therefore, if someone wants to pop the glass by the door or, you know, break into your house. It's it's really not that difficult. So 
why would somebody actually take the time to hack your Bluetooth lock? Yeah, that's, I think for most crooks, that is a much more likely vector, at least for now. Yeah. Um, uh, once everybody starts using these, you know, I think it'll be something I'd be more concerned about, frankly. Um, and, and David just mentioned, and, and I guess we should probably think about it, that, you know, he's information security and, and he's probably a little more paranoid than the average person, but he felt that sometimes we give away a little too much information about our home security situation, like placement of cameras and that we've got this combination lock on our doors and things like that. So that's food for thought. It's funny. I, I was talking to someone, I met, I met a listener recently for coffee and well, actually tea, but anyway, uh, and he said, you know, it's funny. I feel like you and I are really close friends because I've been listening to you so long, but you've never met me. And I said, the funny thing is when you do this many hours of podcasting, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of Katie and me talking. There's nothing we can hide behind. I mean, we are who we are. And, and the listeners know us really well because you couldn't put on a facade that long. Thank goodness I never tried. I can. <laughs> You know what, Katie Floyd? I think you could. Uh. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then we heard from Joe, and he's talked about home automation, and he's way behind the geek world, but he's surprised we hadn't mentioned Indigo. Uh, had you checked this out, it's, Katie? It's kind of cool. Um, you know, there are all these these home automation services, and, you know, we all want the smart house, and the smart house is very expensive, and, you know, you got your alarm system who's trying to automate into it, and your cable company's trying to tie into this, and... I think in a couple of years, this is all likely going to be solved by, you know, you're going to pick a provider and all of your stuff's going to be integrated to the same. But right now we seem to be cobbling together solutions of I'm going to have my Wemo for this and this for this and this for this and my Nest for this. And, you know, but yes, you know, an another step, and I know this is already starting to happen, but something I think that would be very obvious and maybe by next year is, you know, we're getting these smart light bulbs and combine that with that Bluetooth technology I was talking about earlier, the low power Bluetooth or maybe even uh, Apple's new technology. What do I they beacon. call it? Um, iBeacon. Yeah. iBeacon, where you know you'll be able to walk in a room and the lights will turn on, and you'll walk out of the room and the lights will turn off. And yeah, I think that'll be nice when when we. I don't think that's that far off. I I did want to mention though that I mentioned the drop cam in the Geek Gift Guide show, and the folks yeah. at Drop Cam apparently were listening because they they reached out and they said, "Well, we we'd like you to test one out and review it and and see what you think of it." So um, I've been playing around with one here at the house for the last week or so. And, um, you know, David's probably the other David's probably going to get upset with me for saying that. Um, I'm going to have a full review up, you know, after I've had a little more time to play with it. But it's um, the the idea of the drop cam is is really interesting. You know, the, the idea of having this Internet connected camera in, in your house. Um, I, I don't know that it's ultimately for me, you know, kind of being a single person, but I definitely see. You know, people who have pets or people who have kids or nannies or things like that, you know, wanting to, to check in and see what's going on their house from time to time. Um, but the, the drop cam, it, it also it has Bluetooth in it, but it uses Bluetooth for the setup. So it senses your iPhone and it senses the app and it says, hey, I'm, I'm here. Is this you? Yep. OK, well, let me pair. And here's the, the Wi-Fi information. And the setup was ridiculously simple. But what really astonished me about the drop cam was how amazing the image quality was on these these things i mean uh, the drop cam is no cheap camera i mean it's it's 200 bucks for the the drop cam pro version which is hd but wow these cameras have really come a long way yeah it's really interesting to see where that that all goes yeah. i mean even just with my kids i mean it's been a few years but uh my parents thought it was ridiculous that i would put a monitor in their room 
They're like, you know what? When you cried, we knew it. It's okay. You don't need a monitor. And now all the parent, young parents are, are getting cameras, you know, looking at the kids. That's just natural, I guess. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about dictation because uh, the show we did got a lot of really positive feedback on dictation and Siri. And there's a couple things I left off. And part of it's just kind of the workflow I do for dictation. Um, well, first one, uh, I got a few people writing saying, well, how are you doing corrections with dictation? And he never makes Maver- a mistake, folks. <laughs> well, actually, that's almost all I do is make mistakes. Uh, but the uh, the Mavericks uh, doesn't have a methodology for dictation. When you dictate in Mavericks, you can't say, go fix this in line two or whatever. Uh, Dragon Dictate does. Um, and having used dictation software now for probably close to 15 years, uh, I can say that I've never been that thrilled with the voice correction methodology. It always seemed to me like it took, it took longer. I mean, if I would, if I had a disability where I was unable to use my hands, it's, it's doable with dragon, but I think I've always viewed a dictation as the way to get the, uh, the lousy first draft in, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and make corrections with a keyboard. And part of that's just because, you know, I'll think of a better way to say something. It's not that the dictation software failed. It's that my own brain synapses did. And when I go and, and proofread it, I find different ways to do it. And it, it's very um, tedious to say, select X words and replace that or whatever the commands are in Dragon. So I didn't really cover that in the show. It is possible if that's your thing. Uh, I'm going to just hammer away at several of these, if you don't mind, Katie. Uh, next one was dic- dictating over Wi-Fi. If you're using Dragon, they have an app that um, allows you to dictate straight into Dragon over Wi-Fi. And I didn't mention that because I've gotten the habit of using that Bluetooth microphone. Uh, But this is a very good solution, and it's a lot cheaper than buying a separate Bluetooth microphone. So it works with your your iPhone, and you download the app, and you talk into your iPhone. And so long as it's on the same Wi-Fi network as your Mac, it gets transcription in, and it, I think it does a better job than the Bluetooth microphones because it's a Wi-Fi audio connection. Uh, as an example, have you tried with the new iOS seven doing a, a phone call with someone, not over the voice line, but over the um, uh, what is it, the iMessage uh, talk line? Have you tried that yet? Katie? I, I think you mean uh, FaceTime. I'm sorry, FaceTime audio. I have yes. not, but but have everybody you- has said it's excellent. Yeah, after we hang up the the call here, I'm going to call you with it because I want you to hear it. It is it, it is so much better than what you get from the cellular carriers. It's not even funny, and that's the kind of signal your computer's getting when you're doing Wi-Fi connection with this Dragon app. So it's a great way. Hold your phone in your hand, you know, wander around so long as you're within Wi-Fi range of your router, and so is your computer. It's gonna it's gonna show up there, and that's a great solution. I should have mentioned it. Um, the reason I, I I got out of the habit of using it is frankly at the day job we, we're having some Wi-Fi issues, and we're in the process of of upgrading that stuff. But it's unstable, so I would lose the connection. And because I wander off afar as I'm dictating, I'd get back and find out that there's two minutes two minutes of dictation that didn't get into the app. So that's not good, and that's actually a Wi-Fi problem at my work, not the app's problem. Uh, another thing is there's a dragon uh, recording app where you can record into it. And several people wrote and saying, well, why don't you just do that into your iPhone? Then you don't have to carry that extra Sony recorder. And I don't do that because I really like the ability to pick up and push a physical button and record. 
and push a physical report and button and stop. Uh, and doing it on the touch screen would require me to keep looking at the screen. And, um, that's why, you know, it, it, I'm not, I'm not usually a fan of carrying extra stuff around, but this recorder is so small and it's, it works, you know, I keep it in my car and I, I generally know when I'm going to be doing long dictations into it. So it just hasn't become a problem for me. And the convenience of having the buttons outweighs it. I also heard from people saying, well, what's the audio format? And, you know, I've just taken it for so granted. I knew when I talked about this on the show prior that I should have known the audio format. And, um, again, I don't know it. I think it's WAV format. I don't have the recorder Usually with me right now or check yeah. it. Yeah. And, and that's the one that Dragon will read. But it, that's that's the format you use. And, yeah, this one's um, for me. Okay. All right. So I had a couple of people who said, Katie, why did you keep calling Siri a she? Because, you know, in other countries, Siri is a he. And even in the U.S., you can make Siri a he. So I know for a fact that Siri is a she. Why? Because there was that whole episode of the Big Bang Theory where Raj fell in love with her and then he went to go find her and he found her in an office building and she was a she. That was American Siri, Katie. What's wrong with you? <laughs> okay, well, you know. All right, so duly noted, and I apologize that, yes, Siri is a he. Have you ever tr- uh, turned on the male Siri in the U.S.? He's horrible. The voice is horrible. No, it's, it's horrible. But, yeah. Oh, and I will tell you, as additional follow-up to Dragon Dictation, I have now purchased Dragon Dictation. Oh, have you? Have you played I have, with it yet? I have. I dictated several blog posts this week using Dragon Dictation, and I liked it a lot. Um, just because I kind of knew what I was going to say, and I was just able to to sit back and you know, prop my feet up on the desk and just start chatting. And I found it remarkably accurate. Did I tell people to go listen to the Cooking Ideas episode when we did the, that Siri Dictation show? I think show? you did. But you yeah. can tell them if again. you haven't, you should. Everybody else go do that, but Katie has to go watch Sherlock. Yes, everybody uh, but, except Katie, because uh, I kind of talked it through. But if you are an outliner or a mind mapper, that is a great way to to do some good dictation. Is to sit down and plan out what you're going to say, and then dictate, and you'll be surprised at the results. Oh. It's like magic. I don't know. Um, we also had a lot of feedback about um backup. You know, we've been, we haven't done a backup show in a while. Maybe we need to do another one. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess you can never say backup enough, but, um, the, the online backup stuff, we've been getting quite a bit of questions about, and I thought it'd be interesting to raise that real quickly. Um, so Katie, you started using crash plan and you are still a happy crash plan user. I'm still using crash plan and I can tell you what I love and what I hate about crash plan. And hate's a strong word. Okay. I, I use Crash Plan. I think their pricing is reasonable and competitive, especially if you want to do a family plan. Um, you can do unlimited backup and all that other good stuff. Um, I like Crash Plan because they have ability to, without any additional cost, I can have people back up to me. And I've got people coming and backing up to my Drobo and things like that. And that doesn't cost me anything more. So for certain family members who, who have pretty low backup volume, you know, where their entire user library is like sub 10 gigabytes or something like that, you know, probably usually a lot less than that. I am their cloud and they're just backing up to my, to my Drobo in, instead of, of backing up to the cloud. So there's there's that whole feature of CrashPlan that you can use it for free as long as you don't want any cloud backup. But if you want to use their cloud backup, then then that's when you pay for it. The other thing that I really like about CrashPlan as opposed to some of the other online solutions is that it has pretty generous support for external hard drives. And you can back up external hard drives to CrashPlan. And even if you don't regularly plug those hard drives in, 
Crash Plan will remember them and Crash Plan will keep them. And I know that Backblaze has some limited support for external hard drives, i.e. if you, as long as that hard drive is plugged in once every, I want to say 30 days, it will continue to back it up. But I know several other online backup services don't support external hard drives or, or have this limitation that if they aren't regularly plugged in and updated, that it will delete that information. And And Crash Plan is pretty liberal with with external hard drives. For for example, um, I've, I've blogged about this, about how I back up my Drobo to Crash Plan, and that's a lot of data. A lot of data that isn't anywhere else because I use my Drobo for archive storage. So that's what I like about Crash Plan. What I, what yeah. I don't so- like about Crash Plan is that the app is Java-based and it can be very kludgy. It works for me most of the time, um, but it can be kludgy, and sometimes you got to restart it, and sometimes you got to like wave a rubber chicken and do some wacky stuff to get it to work. I have heard, but I have heard this for a long time, that they are working on a dedicated, um, is it Cocoa? Cocoa or Carbon? A dedicated Mac app, um, but I don't have an ETA on that. So I, 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 you talked about it so much that I finally got a crash plan account and I went through the process and it fully backed up and it took quite a while, but I had it connected to an external drive with a lot of data. on, And just like you said, it, it took all of it, which was great. Um, I liked it so much that after a year I paid for two years and about a month later, crash plan just started going completely nuts on me. So the first problem I had, well, actually the biggest problem I had was it was building these cache files and, and it would it literally fill up my Mac to capacity with this cache file. And you, there's Daisy no reason. Well, yeah. That's how I, that's the only way I could find it was with Daisy. Just, we'd sit down to record a podcast and suddenly it would say, you have no space. And I, you know, and, and it was this cra- crash plan cache and I would delete it. Then I went online and, and did the rubber chicken stuff and it, and it would go away. And I come back a couple of days later and it'd be full again. And it, it, this went on for like two or three weeks and, and I went to the forums. I could just never get it working. And, and finally I just contacted crash plan. I said, you know, this just really isn't working for me. And I know you guys are working on it, but it, it's already wasted way more of my time than this is worth to me. And, and they were totally great about it. And they gave me a full refund, even though I had just paid for two years, they took care of me, but I just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And then I had no online backup system, but trust me, I have plenty of backups. And then I decided to give a uh, backblaze a try. So I signed up for backblaze and um, I noticed that the upload speed for me with backblaze was faster than it was with crash plan. And I'm not sure that could have just been because of my internet provider or who knows, but, but it did back up pretty quickly. I'm not getting that extra drive backed up to it though. And frankly, all my data has now transmorgified to the, uh, the Drobo 5N. So I just don't really have a way to back that up to backblaze, but I, that's one of the reasons why I'm going to look into this, this uh, Amazon S3 backup for the Drobo. You should read my cloud post on mounting the Drobo via AFP. I I bet Blackblaze might see it because, because crash plan, crash plan doesn't normally see the Drobo, but if you, if you, if you swing a rubber chicken and you mount the Drobo a special way, and then you kind of ping it every now and again to make sure that it's still live. You can make crash plan see it, and I wonder if, if and, and I think that's more of a crash plan limitation than a Drobo limitation. But I bet you could do something similar with Backblaze. 
Yeah, I'll have to look into it. But the, it, just for backing up my my laptop, which is my main computer with a lot of data on it, like when I was in the middle of trying to finish the email book, it felt really good to me knowing that it was also up at crash plan. That you know, Backlash. if everything went nuts, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm confusing. Yeah, it was up at Backblaze. So it 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 is nice having that that cloud backup i wouldn't recommend it as someone's only backup because just even restoring from it is going to be a pain but you know if the house burns down and your only backup drive is sitting next to your computer you're going to feel really good about having all your pictures up at backblaze or crash plan uh, my big argument against these if you go back into the archives of the mac power users was just the upload took so long uh, but upload speeds have improved with the internet service providers over the last couple of years. And I think it's more realistic now. It might take you a month, but you're going to get everything. Up yeah. There. And I guess I would say two things to that. And then we need to move on because we're, we're pushing some time here, but, but number one, most of these cloud services has an option to seed the cloud. If you want by sending them a hard drive or they'll send you a drive that you back up to and send to them. And it's not that expensive. Yeah. If it's that important to you, go ahead and spend the money and seed it. It's a one-time thing that you'll do. And number two, you have no offsite backup and you're going from having none to having something or potentially having everything in a month. That's if, if that is your reason for not doing it, that seems like a pretty, and you're going to continue not doing it because it's going to take you a month to get up there. Well, how long are you going to not have an offsite backup if you continue not doing it? Cause it's going to take you a month to do it. Good points. points. And and it's not that expensive. I think it was $60 a year. Uh, for my Backblaze account. I think it was the same for CrashPlan, like too. Yeah. yeah, so it's not that expensive. That's a good thing to do with the new year. Maybe we should have saved that for the New Year's resolution. Show. We probably should have. Um, all right, we have a, a, another sponsor, and then we have the really important discussion that we need to have. So why don't you do that? Well, of course, um, I, I do want to mention our last sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends over at Squarespace. And this is our last Squarespace spot for the year. And so I wanted to kind of take a look back uh, and, and talk about Squarespace. And it's been a year now since I switched to Squarespace. And I know that because it was kind of a traumatic event that led me to switch to Squarespace. And I wanted to, to talk about that a little bit. So um, you know, we're we're here in December, it's Christmas time, and, and actually the day that we record this, it's my grandfather's birthday. And last year, on my grandfather's birthday, and I remember this so vividly because it was his 80th birthday and it was a it was a big deal, and we had this big family to do. Um, I remember getting a, a notice from our, our previous web host saying, Oh, we're about to do this uh PHP update, no worry, go to the control panel, click a box, and it will be fine. So that morning I did that before I was starting a big crazy day of activities and everything seemed fine. My website was fine. And I, I go off and I do the birthday party and I do a whole other slew of things. And I come home and and my activity for that evening is I'm decorating my Christmas tree. And I get a text message from one of my friends that says, hey, do you know your website's down? Well, no, I didn't know that, but that that kind of freaks me out. And I proceed to spend the next three hours this night where I've already been exhausted working all day and I'm supposed to spend a quiet, peaceful night at home in the holiday spirit, listening to Christmas music, sipping eggnog or whatever, and decorating my Christmas tree. And instead, what I do is I spend three hours on the phone talking to India, trying to get my my website back working again. And I ultimately went to bed like at midnight, exhausted, you know, threw the rest of the decorations up on the tree. The holiday spirit was totally gone. And it was at that point that I said, I am never, ever, ever doing this again. And the very next week, I signed up for Squarespace. 
And I've been with Squarespace for a year now, and I could not have been happier. Um, the time that I have spent on my website with Squarespace has been time actually writing content for my site and time improving my site. It has not been time maintaining, well, and time playing and tweaking with my site, because of course, you know, that's what we do. But it's not been time worrying about my site. It's not been time maintaining my site. It's not been time worrying about whether my site is broken or how to fix it. It's not been time worrying about how to back up my site or how do I recover it. It's not been time worrying about administrating my site because I don't have time, nor do I have the desire to be a web administrator. I just want to be able to blog and I want to have a good looking blog that I can customize and that with not a whole lot of effort, I can get up on the web and have do what I want. So that is why I switched to Squarespace. It's been a year and I have been thrilled and I haven't looked back. Um, and, you know, David, I, I think you were the ones who, you know, you were you were kind of what led the way because I know you switched Max Sparky maybe a year or maybe at least a couple of months before I switched over my site. So, Oh no, it's been longer than that. I think it's over three years now. Uh, And I had, I had a friend who had a a WordPress site. Well, this is, we've talked about this on our WordPress show, but I had a friend who got hacked and he didn't know it. And his site was serving up malicious code to all his visitors. And I said, you know, I just, I'm not comfortable using a platform where something that like that is even possible. And I went over to Squarespace and I love it. And not only do I have a site, my wife now blogs and she has a site in, in Squarespace. And my daughter has a business, a video business. She runs through Squarespace. My office now we've switched to Squarespace. So it's, it's a definitely, so I'm drinking it, yeah. you know, drinking the Kool-Aid with this one. It's, it's wonderful. So whatever your reasons are for considering Squarespace, whether it's because you don't want to be a web IT administrator, because it's just you want a good looking site because you want a site that will scale well on your um, desktop machines as well as your mobile devices, because you you want a site that you can customize templates because it's your site you want to run your business off of, whether it's Squarespace Commerce and you, you want to be able to sell products. They've got a package and they've got something that will work for you. So you can go over to Squarespace. You can try them for two weeks. This is a great time to do that because we've got the holidays coming up and maybe you've got some downtime where you can import the information off of your your current site with you know no no harm no foul if you decide this doesn't work out um, but if you decide that it does work out use the coupon code MPU12 um, and you can save a good chunk of change off of off of your Squarespace accounts they've got plans starting as low as is eight bucks a month and if you sign up for a year you can even get a free domain name so there's something for everybody there's something at every level. Um, go to squarespace.com slash users. And again, if, if you found Squarespace or switched to Squarespace or considered them this year, please let them know that, uh, that Katie and David sent you. Okay, Katie, this is a talk that we need to have. Um, so I, I, stra- I, I stumbled into the subject of tea on one of our recent episodes, and we have got so much feedback on it. People are saying we need to do a podcast on tea, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to do any of that stuff, but I am going to talk about tea for a few minutes here because I need to set the world straight about tea. Uh, Before I start this, though, I want to make a blanket apology to the nations of Great Britain, India, China, Japan, um, and basically the entire Asian entire Asian continent would probably be a good idea. But but so here's this, you know, white bread American. I've always loved tea. I love hot tea and I drink it. Lots of it every day. So it's it's kind of my thing. I don't drink coffee. And I know that, you know, you're supposed to have, a, what is it, Mark Orman says you need a clicky keyboard and a coffee fetish to be a nerd. Um, yep. But I don't have either one of those, but either way. Uh, so I do have one about tea. 
Um, so I made the comment that when I brew tea, I never leave the tea bag in very long. And it drives me crazy to watch people in Starbucks or tea houses that leave the tea bag in and drink it for 45 minutes because it's got to be so bitter. I don't know how they can drink it. Listener Kevin wrote in from the UK to say that he brews tea for seven seconds. Wow. And he's in, he's in the UK, so he automatically knows more about tea than me. And um, but I do know that like in the UK, they they drink a very dark tea there, so that stuff is really potent. I can't imagine just brewing it for seven seconds, though. Uh, my rules are generally white tea, uh, which is one of the most mild teas. I brew for five minutes, and green tea I brew for about three minutes. What I really do, if you want to know my workflow, is uh, I I put the tea in. And there's a whole battle over whether you put the water first or the tea leaves first. And I, I actually looked on the internet and prepped for the show and I didn't see that there was anybody authoritative on either side, but I usually put the hot water in first and then I slowly drop the, um, the, the tea leaves. I lose loose leaf tea in an, in a, um, in a little thing that holds them and I, I drop it in slowly. I don't pour over the, over the tea leaves. And I don't know if that makes any difference, but it does in my head. But I put it in there and I set a timer for like two minutes because it's going to take me another minute to get the tea to where I need to and pull the leaves out. And I don't want to overbrew this stuff because if you do, it tastes bitter. And that's why a lot of people don't like tea because they drink tea that was brewed wrong. And so for green tea, I do like three minutes. Uh, there's a website called Art of Tea that has a whole like list of time brew times for the darker teas, like a British tea or an Indian tea, like a black tea. Um, they will say three to five minutes, a little bit longer. Um, I, I don't really care much for the black teas. They're just too strong for me. Um, the other thing I recommend people do, if you want a stronger green tea, don't brew it longer. Just put more leaves in. And, uh, that actually makes it better in my mind. Um, the other thing I got a lot of grief about was the fact that I don't pour boiling water over my tea leaves. And a lot of people were outraged. And I noticed a lot of my UK listeners in particular, thought that was crazy that I need to use boiling water to make tea. And once again, they're from the UK. So genetically they know more about tea than me, but um, I did look it up and there is some science behind this. And apparently the type of tea I drink, which is green tea, um, you can burn the leaves um, and, and you can scald them with, with boiling water. And they recommend that you use uh, water, the temperature of 155 to 180 degrees. Um, this is how nerdy I am. I actually have a temperature, uh, like it's a meat thermometer, you know, with, with a probe on the end. And I actually test the water before I, I brew my tea. Is that crazy? I'm just having visions of like these little tea leaves at the bottom of a cup going, help, help. No, don't scold us. Yeah. Well, I, I just realized that I've been talking for like 10 minutes about this and you haven't said a word. So I, I don't know if you have it on mute and you're laughing or whatever, but, I uh, so I, coffee. I go <laughs> of Nescafe <laughs> anyway. I, uh, so I, so I do am careful about not putting boiling water. I can taste a difference. And I even did a blind test once. And I can definitely taste a difference of green tea that is brewed with boiling water versus green tea. That's brewed with a little cooler water. Um, if you do boil the water and you don't, aren't crazy and you don't have a, a thermometer uh, to measure the temperature, I think you're okay. If, after it boils, just leave it setting for like 10 minutes and then brew your tea and you'll be fine. So that solves that problem. Uh, you are supposed to preheat the kettle. Some people, I, I always clean the kettle with hot water first. So it's nice and warm before I put it in there. 
And that's my tea workflow, man. I, I drink it all the time. I love it. Uh, I also would recommend if you're a tea drinker, there are some really good thermoses out there that will keep it hot for a long time. Um, I bring hot tea to baseball games with me and it's still hot at the end of the game because I have a thermos. Okie dokie then. So, yeah, I think, I think I've covered tea. I think you've covered right? tea. See, I don't see we need to do a whole podcast on it, but I, I did have some specific issues there. I needed to get out. I'm glad. I'm, it's out of my system now. I'm glad you did. Great thing about tea is you can drink it. it. It's not as caffeinated as coffee, but it does give you a little bit of a hit. But I stopped drinking it at like three, three o'clock. After that, then things get weird if I drink it too late. Oh, one more trick. One more trick. This one I'm going to get feedback to. So you make your tea in the morning before you leave the house and, and then keep your leaves. Uh, and when you brew, you can do a second brew of that tea in the evening and it'll taste just as good, but it won't be nearly as caffeinated. So that's another trick if you want the evening tea. Good to know. All right. Do we have time to do some rapid fire feedback or have we, yeah. uh, have we gone too long here? That was pretty judgmental. No, I, didn't I just say, I didn't, want to say my feelings I are kind of hurt. Anything. I think it's wonderful. Let's do some rapid fire real okay. quick. Uh, QR codes. Yeah, Art wrote in and, and told us that one of his hobbies is brewing beer, which is kind of yeah. like brewing tea, I would imagine. Not really. And he came up with this idea of generating a QR label that could be tied back to Evernote. Um, and that would kind of tell him where the beer is and where it's been and, and all this stuff. So he started researching this a little bit, and he found a good workflow description at techfororganizers.com slash QR. So techfororganizers.com is an interesting site in and of itself. So what Art did is he now has a text expander snippet that generates all of the fields that he wants in his way to brew, you know, the, the you know, kind of what's, what's important. He puts this as an Evernote note, and then he links the Evernote note and generates a QR code with his Dynamo printer. And so think about all the ways that you can use this to for physical objects. So you can generate a QR code for something that you might want to have information attached to. And for art, it's beer. But you can scan your manuals and then put a QR code on your, you know, water softener or whatever and when you scan it it'll link to that note in Evernote and boom there's your manual for your water softener or something like that uh, I just thought it was an interesting use of QR codes did you ever read that post I did that Max Sparky about OmniFocus tasks with QR yeah, codes like toothpaste or toothpaste or something like that yeah like you could I never did it but I, I thought it was a good idea one of the listeners wrote in with this where he makes QR codes and he uses the URL callback URL callbacks in OmniFocus on the iPhone. So you put a QR code in your pantry that says, you know, buy more Twinkies, and you just zap that with your phone, and then it go it pre- presents a URL that creates the task in OmniFocus. Very cool. I don't I don't know um I don't know if it's crazy. I mean, would it be just as fast to open up OmniFocus, tap the Siri icon, and say buy more Twinkies? Or say, add buy more Twinkies to my grocery list. You know, I'm not sure it's faster, but boy, the nerd in me sure loves that idea. Yeah. Um, Emery wrote in, and I had talked about how I use OpenDNS to kind of protect the kids in the house. And he looked into it further and he said, OpenDNS is a good solution. He says, but it's not a perfect solution. Um, for instance, Google Images caches uh, the images on their website. So if a pornographic image is on the website and the kids go to Google images, they're going to see it even with open DNS. Um, 
enabled. And uh, Emery actually had a couple different ideas about, you know, you know, other ways you can get around OpenDNS and these other services. And I guess if you try hard enough, you're going to get through it. But I still believe it's a great line of first defense, and it, it just takes so little effort to pull that off. That's a good one, too, for Christmas. If you're going to somebody's house, set up an open DNS um, on their router so, you know, their kids don't fall into some of the craziness on the Internet. Yeah. Lars wrote us and asked a little bit about Little Snitch. Uh, he or mentioned Little Snitch. He uses Little Snitch as a software-based firewall on his Mac. And Little Snitch is a great app. It's, it's made by the Objective Development, which are the same folks who made our great favorite utility launch bar. And so you can use Little Snitch to keep track of um, all of the outgoing inter- um, you know, activity or basically all the apps and all the stuff that's calling home on your Mac. But with one of the newer, with the newest version of Little Snitch, it also has the ability to create rules and create filters based on either locations or based on specific networks that you're joining. So you can have a different set of rules or filters for when you're at home on your network where you feel like you can loosen things up and, and things are pretty secure. Um, you can have a different set of rules for your office network, so where maybe you don't want certain apps calling home or getting out, or but you can have a different set of rules for unsecure networks or networks that you don't know. But I actually um, talked to Allison Sheridan on the NoSilicast podcast this week about how you can actually use a little snitch to create rules to preserve data when you're tethering to devices. So you could actually have a set of rules for tethered devices, like when you're tethered to a MiFi or when you're tethered to an iPhone or an iPad that really locks down the outgoing data. So you can block Dropbox, you can drop CrashPlan, you can block, you know, PhotoStream. I mean, think about the the main culprits of things that slurp up your data when you're on these, these tethered um, devices um, and create yeah. little snitch rules specifically for that. It's pretty cool. It's a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to listen to that show. So that was on the Nozilla cast podcast. Uh, Nozilla. There's no Z. Yeah. Podfeet.com. I just pronounce it Nozilla. Yeah. She, she appreciates that. Um, okay. Anthony, uh, talked about logic. I, I spoke with, um, who was I talking to about logic? I don't know. I think it was Brett Terpstra. And, um, I talked about how, you know, I, I, I picked up logic. I haven't fully, understood it yet i haven't had enough time and there's a setting in there that says show advanced tools if you turn that off it gives you the garage band view of logic wooden sides and all so i thought that was pretty smart by apple hmm. um a- another thing that i wanted to talk about we got a lot of feedback after the email show because we blind copy each other mm-hmm. when we send um responses to listeners and we had uh, several people write in and say well i don't understand why you're doing that now you're giving each other more email to read but the idea is it, it allows us to see where one of us has re- already responded because we get a pretty good volume of it. And a lot, if Katie responds, then I don't have to, unless there's something that's really calling out to me and vice versa. And the reason we do the BCC instead of a copy, cause I don't care if a listener knows, you know, my Max Bark email, it's everywhere on the internet anyway. But if the listener replies, then all of a sudden I'm in on that chain too. And it gets crazy. So I prefer it be done as a blind carbon copy so if katie and the listener have an ongoing communication i don't have to be in the middle of that so that's why we do it okay katie we did it hour and a half a hour and more 40 than minutes and yeah but we we got our, but 10 10 minutes of it was tea yeah so are, so are we calling the feedback followed up on are we cleaning, uh, cleaning the slate on feedback I, I have a feeling we're going to get so much feedback from this show that we're going to be right back where we started in a week oh dear all right Well, you can send us more feedback about the show by sending an email to feedback 
at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also reach us uh, on Twitter uh, at MacPowerUsers, and uh, Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Berkey. Yeah, and you can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, kind of a hodgepodge of stuff, lovingly crafted by our good friend JT over at 5x5.tv slash MPU uh, or at MacPowerUsers.com. And so before we go any longer, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We will be back uh, next time, and uh, we'll see you then.